This is the Gary V Audio Experience. Cause we're gonna be legends. Well, thanks for coming. This is, uh, as you know, Gary Vaynerchuk. Okay, I'll explain to him a little bit in the car. We picked up from the airport this morning, but Young Founder School is a global high school um, boot camp for high school students to become entrepreneurs. So half, half the people here have been through a two-day boot camp, which is pretty rigorous. Uh, eight hours lectures, breakout sessions, where they eventually pitch real VCs. It was basically planning of the apps before you guys decided to come up with the idea. Yes, I understand. And the other half have basically taken 100 Hong Kong dollars and tried to make as much money as possible. This was inspired by you, by your eBay challenge. Um, and some of them were incredibly that successful. That I like. We have um, Team Fidget Spinners actually won uh, over here. They basically- Fidget much, Spinners always win. So <laughs> they bought Fidget Spinners- Or Slime. Or Slime. So tell, why don't you tell your story? How much did you make with 100 Hong Kong dollars? 600, you need six extra money in, in an hour, basically. In one hour, you basically six extra money because. How? So you bought them? Where? Okay. On Taba. Yep. Yeah. And where'd you sell them? At school? Even better. I love it. So, um, so they've all um, emailed some questions. The story of my life. Okay. Email some questions. These are everyone here are budding entrepreneurs. They've asked me a lot of questions, so we're gonna go one by one. Um, so Kevin, why don't you ask your question? Hey Kevin, how did you join you as an entrepreneur start, and what kind of difficulties did you start? Uh, did you face at that time? So, I uh, I'm I'm old. I'm 41. So, I was born in Russia in the USSR and moved to America when I was little, and. I was a kid growing up in the 1980s in America where entrepreneurship had no place from youth. And I'm sure a lot of you guys can associate with this depending on your parents. Uh, no, uh, my entrepreneurial journey started when I was five, six years old. I only, as a kid, wanted to make money for, as play. Like to me, in the summer, it was more fun to go knock on people's doors and wash their cars for $5 than it was to do anything else. So I was a really a pure, what I would call a purebred entrepreneur. Nobody taught me it, nobody showed me it, I didn't read about it, it wasn't cool, it's where my life gravitated. Probably similar, I think I grew up more like an athlete or a singer. It, like, it pulled me in instead of me thinking about it. The biggest difficulty I faced was because it was that era, I was getting bad grades and making a lot of money and everybody thought I was a loser. So my journey began from birth and the most difficult part was my entire childhood. Literally from fourth grade until the senior year of high school, those eight years, I had to be within my own mind that I was gonna be successful because every teacher and every friend's parent told me I wasn't gonna be. And it was not that easy. Right, I'm sure for a lot of you, whatever you want to do that society, your teachers, or your parents don't want you to do, it's not easy at this age to navigate through that journey. You know? So, my whole childhood. Um, Navia? Hi. 
So I was wondering, what was your original mission for creating the wine library, and how did that mission change over time? So. We were an immigrant family. My dad got a job as a stock boy in a liquor store and, and you know, saved every dollar for 10 years to buy his own store. So my original plan, and really basically I delivered on it, was I was so grateful and so thankful for my parents' sacrifice of coming from a different country and building a life for us that I felt that I was talented. You know, I had a very big feeling that I was good at business so I wanted to go into the family business and make it much bigger so that I could pay back my family. So my original vision was, my dad's store was called Shoppers Discount Liquors. It was very much a beer and liquor store, but we were in a neighborhood that had some wealth and I noticed people were interested in wine. So my initial mission was to just build the best wine store in America, like have the best wines, have the best prices, know the most. One of the biggest reasons I was a bad student was I would sit in class and study wine while I was in science class or math class. So I was very committed. Um, and you know, I, 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 I really, my only objective was to build it so big that it would pay back my parents for the big thing they did for me. Do you think you've achieved that? Absolutely, I think, you know, I think a lot of times people take shots at me because my dad had a business. I don't think people realize that I own 0% of Wine Library, that my dad owns the entire business, that I built that business's growth, and that I left that business at 32 years old with no income and no collateral to build anything on. So I think that's a massively selfless thing to do in your 20s to give up a decade of your best years where you basically leave with nothing. You know. A lot of people just don't know my true story that way. So I think I achieved that. I, I built a business that was doing $4 million a year to a business that was doing 45 to $60 million a year and I left it for all the value for my parents to have. So absolutely. You know, I think about the business as the horse and I think as the CEO, as the jockey. I always, if it's 50-50, lean towards the person because some of the biggest business, Nintendo, started as a playing card company. And it was the entrepreneurs that ran that business that kept changing the business. You know, when I started VaynerMedia, I didn't think it would be what it is today. I never thought it would be what it is today. I thought it was gonna be something different. So great entrepreneurship is not being romantic about what you started out to do. It's about adjusting to the reality of what your business has to do. And so, I never have invested, that's not true. There have been times that I've become so infatuated with the person that I met that I invested even though I didn't believe in their idea because I wanted to build a relationship with them and I thought to myself, even if I lose this twenty-five dollars or $50,000, in the second or third business that she or he builds, she'll be successful and I'll be there to be a part of it. But far more often I have to believe in your idea and believe that you have the stomach. My biggest fear with your generation of entrepreneurship is that entrepreneurship is now cool. And that you're doing it because of either money or coolness, not because you can't breathe without it. And uh, I'm looking for entrepreneurs that can't breathe and ever, if you, if you think in your mind right now, it'll be really cool to try a business, but if it doesn't work, I'll go into banking, I don't want to invest in you. For me, not that that is good or bad, that's just how I see it. How many of you think 
that entrepreneurship is in your DNA? How many think that this is what you want to do for the rest of your life? Okay. Yeah, and by the way, there's nothing wrong with entrepreneurial tendencies, right? Like, for example, for more than half of you did not raise your hand, what you'll learn in winning or losing in entrepreneurship will make you a better executive. You know, so I don't think there's, I don't think it's, but if you asked me, think about it. If 70% of you didn't raise your hand, including let's make pretend two or three of you would have, but you were just shy. So if half of you actually don't think it's your full DNA, if I put $100,000 into your business and you lose and you say to yourself, well I learned and now I go on to do things, that's good for you. It's terrible for me. But I guess what makes you invest in somebody else's company when you could take that dollar and invest in your own company and have much higher ROI? Diversification. Because I can't, I'm just, you can't, you know, look at all the money I made in Facebook and, and, and Twitter and Snapchat and Uber. Like, I made a lot of money. Like, because I'm very good at consumer behavior. So I have three pillars. One, I've made a lot of money on Amazon and Netflix as public companies because I understood they would work. Two, I've made a lot of money in other investors in companies that would work and then I've built my own company. So there's three pillars for me. The public markets, the private markets, and my own behavior. And for scale and the ambition that I have, I need all three. At least the way I work. Because the other thing you get when you invest is you learn. You know, I get to learn by watching other entrepreneurs navigate their business. And so, um, I think it's valuable. But I think there's a lot of people, you know, my friend Travis, who was the CEO of Uber until very recently, when he, you know, I used to do a lot of angel investing with him, and then he became the CEO of Uber, and then I kept emailing him like, hey, did you see this deal? Hey, did you see this deal? And he would say, I'm only focused on Uber. I'm only focused on Uber. So for him, and you know, it's funny, right now I'm doing far less investing, because I'm very focused on the Vayner machine that I'm building, so it ebbs and flows. One thing that you'll learn you're so young right now. You guys are so young right now. You don't realize, you know, how old, how old is everybody here? 14, 15, 16? 12 to 17. So one thing that will blow your mind is that I sit here right now with you at 41 years old and I feel like I'm just like you. I remember how I felt at 14 and it feels exactly the same way I feel at 41. You can't imagine how much fire and passion and how young you feel at 41. Like when I was 14, 15, 16, 17, 41 seemed like dead. <laughs> I get it. I, it wasn't that long ago, right? When you get to 41 and you realize you feel exactly the same way you feel right now, then you start betting on patience. And I think patience is a very important part of this game. What is, can you elaborate on that? What does that mean? I mean, I think a lot of young people make decisions that are detrimental in the long term because they want instant gratification because they don't realize how long life is. Um, so can you give us some examples of entrepreneurs that we may know of that you continuously bet with them? My number one favorite entrepreneur is Evan Williams. He started Blogger, which was one of the first blogging platforms. Then he started a company called Odeo around podcasting. He shut it down as soon as Apple started the podcasting platform. And then he co-founded a company called Twitter and then he started a company called Medium, and I think he's the best. I'm, a, I'm infatuated with Evan Williams. I think he understands consumer. 
I think Mark Zuckerberg is the ultimate because he built such a big company and then he also understood consumer. Don't forget, not only did Mark build Facebook, but he bought WhatsApp, Instagram, and tried to buy Snapchat three years ago for $3 billion. So he understands attention. If the kids wants to pitch you for their business, what are the few things that you look for? You said you bet on the jockey, maybe second his idea, but if there's a few tips you give them, what things drive you to invest? In, in real life for their situation like right, right now? now? Like, like they all have businesses. Yeah, I mean, right now, I would say to you, are you willing to quit school? Right? Like, who's so. Going to, who's willing to quit school? Right. <laughs> and I get it, because you're, you, that's right, because you guys are very young. Like, there's a lot of people in college and university that don't quit school because of their parents or society. So, if anybody raised their hand right now, I'd be, I would have been very surprised and I would have poked. So I'm glad nobody raised their hand. So for me, that becomes a non-interesting conversation. I would not invest in anybody's company here. Because to build an actual company, you have to give it everything you've got. You, have, you would have a side project. Now, if, if I sat down one by one and heard your business and why and how, is it conceivable that somebody would say something so profound and so insightful at such a young age that maybe I would invest now just to invest when they do it for real in five years? Probably. If, but you'd have to say something really fucking ridiculous. <laughs> you know, something incredible. Uh, because, there's, because your life's gonna change so, you know, the one thing that is different about 14 and 41 is you're going through so many fundamental changes of who you are as a person and the course of your life at this age that there's too much risk in all the variable things that are happening in your life. Not to mention that I'm not a big fan of the macroeconomic climate and think that we need a meltdown again. And so I feel like your, your, your age group is very interesting to me because I'm hope, this is a very funny statement, I'm hopeful for you that there's a big economic meltdown over the next three, four, five, six years so that when you guys come into the game, it's not gonna be as easy, it's gonna be a little bit harder and that's gonna flush out everybody in here who's a real entrepreneur, wants to do it, or who wants to go to university and work at a bank. Hey, come on. I keep it. <laughs> uh, Jessica. How many times approximately have you failed before you were so, Jessica, I don't, I don't, I've never had a macro failure. I've never, I've never put, I'm, I'm an immigrant that came from very little. I've never put myself in a position to lose it all. You know, I had very big success as a kid selling, I could have, I could have built a million dollar a year, 70% margin business selling my fidgets of the day, which would have been baseball cards, comic books, bobbleheads, shit I found at garage sales. Like, that was there for me especially because eBay came along, so I would have cruised. Um, but on the flip side, I fail every day. Like the amount of things that I make decisions on that don't work out are every day. I think one of the great ways to tell the difference between a winning entrepreneur and a losing entrepreneur is how much they enjoy losing. So I love losing. I love being wrong because I don't give a shit what you think. I don't care what my mom thinks, I don't care what TechCrunch thinks, I don't care what the Wall Street Journal thinks, I don't care what my kids think, I don't care what anybody thinks about what I do on the playing field of entrepreneurship. As a man, I care about what my mom and daughter think, but as a businessman, I don't give a fuck what anybody thinks. And the quicker you can go to that place, the more likely you are to succeed 
because then you're taking the proper risks and navigating your business properly. Uh, and I think most people are not successful in business because they genuinely care what other people think of them. Sam? What do you think is the biggest trend for the next decade? What do I think the biggest trend is for what? Next decade. Next decade? Um, I'm extremely passionate about voice. So podcast and Alexa, Google Home, Apple Pod, like just voice. Because I think the biggest businesses buy and sell time. I think the reason, you know, all these infrastructure companies that we have in Asia and the US, Ubers and things of that nature, anything that saves us time, right? You guys want everything right now, always fast, right now, always. Anything that's slow, shit. Like, slow internet is like devastating, right? <laughs> like, not, not watching what you wanna see, when you wanna see, like, I grew up where I had to wait to watch my favorite TV show. That's inconceivable to you. You watch everything you want, when you want it, how you want it, where you want it. So speed, we've become addicted to speed. So I think voice is speed. I think listening to something in the first five minutes when you wake up and getting out of bed and getting ready is information that you're consuming that you're not looking at your phone because you're in the shower, because you're brushing your teeth, because you're running somewhere. So podcasts and Alexa skills, not to mention one in every five Google searches is voice because it's faster. Anything that's faster is something I'm interested in. I don't think we as entrepreneurs and business people and the world have fully squeezed all the value out of sound. And so I'm very bullish on sound. Jasmine? Uh, if you could go back in time and do anything differently, would you change anything? Or would you do everything exactly the same way? I, I mean, look, I think anybody who's happy is crazy to say they would do something different because you never know what would have happened. You might have get hit by a bus if you did something different. So I would definitely not change anything because I'm very happy. That being said, I'll tell you what I'm doing well now that I learned from what I wish I did differently. I was there when Google AdWords came out, Google Ads, and I started running them for my dad's liquor store, and they worked, and they really worked. But I was still spending money on direct mail, on radio, on newspaper advertising, I was doing everything. But the Google ads were doing so well, I wasn't smart enough to realize I should have taken all the money and just put it on Google. Now, the reason I'm doing so much Instagram influencers, so much Facebook ads, is because I know it's a very good deal and I'm putting it all on that. When you have, it's like poker, I'm not a poker player, but if you're a really good poker player and you know that you have the best hand, you go all in. And that's how I think about advertising and attention. When you figured something out, you go all in. Like that, what you did with that, if you can scale that to other schools and get other people and give them a percentage, you can build a $2 million business overnight. You could. You could if you went to every fucking school, got, gave somebody a percentage to be your representant and just did it, you could. It's there. You know, it's crazy. You, you think of it as a one day, $100, $600 flip, if you take a step back and go, okay, if I give 25% of the profit to one kid in every school, like what does that compound to? And with digital advertising, as you can imagine with the internet, there's unlimited scale. Leanne? Oh, she's not here, she's just sick. I actually have a question. Um, she read Leanne, you fucked up. Leanne, <laughs> Leanne has got a fever at home. Um, she said she read an article about you experimenting on yourself and she was wondering what you could, uh, could you elaborate on that? That was what I was just talking about. So I produce a lot of content on Facebook, Instagram, Snapchat, YouTube, 
uh, you know, I have a podcast, I have an Alexa skill that just came out. I try everything on myself first, and then it goes to VaynerMedia and we help brands, and then I do it for other businesses that I own or operate. Um, Because there's nobody stopping me, right? When I'm testing on myself, I can get the real data versus when you have clients, they say no a lot. I think the biggest weakness I have is that I think I can do everything. I'm too optimistic, I'm too confident. I think I can do everything. So there was a lot of businesses I started in in 2009, 10, 11 where I would have a partner and I wasn't able to deliver to the partnership because I had so much going on. And no matter how hard you work, no matter how fast you work, you still only have 24 hours. And so the biggest thing that I'm doing better today than I did a decade ago is I'm saying no more often and I'm still saying yes way too much. It will always be my weakness. I just believe in myself too much that I can squeeze so much, but it is absolutely my weakness. And I think I'm getting, I know I'm getting better and better and better, Um, but it's still hard for me because if I see an opportunity, I want to do it, right? Probably your superpower and it's usually the differentiation. You, You hire for the things that you don't do well just to not have a vulnerable flaw, but you hire for the thing that you're best at to explode your growth. So a lot of um, the students here will probably be getting internships or jobs very soon. What are the things that you would recommend they look for in a potential employer? Is it the person that you're working for? Is it the brand? Is it the sector? Like what is it in the initial stages? I think you have to be interested. You know, I think the interest matters. But I would actually throw a curveball. I would say the volume of people that work at the company to create the widest net for you to make relationships. There's nothing you're gonna learn at an internship that is going to be that valuable to you in the long term because the world's gonna change too much by the time you do it for real. The biggest value you will get in an internship is the people that you meet. Relationships are the constant. Information is becoming very, very, very not valuable. So how do you maintain relationships? Effort. You have to provide more value to somebody than they give to you. The best thing you can do at an internship is to ask people what they need for you to do with your limited knowledge of the business. Self-awareness and empathy, humility, and then, and then just trying to bring them the most. Basically the way I live my life is how do I guilt, guilt everybody into having a relationship with me? Like for example, this, this, this little setting we have right now, right? I'm basically in the back of my mind saying, how do I give such good information that in 17 years from today, one of you emails me or whatever, however we talk then, and, and say, hey, I wanna do something with you and I've got a funny story. Do you remember in 2017 when you went to Hong Kong and, talk, and sat in a circle with a bunch of kids? I was one of those kids. You said something that helped me a lot and now I wanna do this with you. That's basically how my entire life works. Because that's the best way to sell, have it come to you. So we were talking, uh, we were talking breakfast a little bit about what students are studying these days and we had a discussion on coding, right? So how many of you here want to actually learn how to code or be a computer science graduate? How many of you intend to do that, okay? What are your thoughts on that? I think, you know, what we talk, so I think it's gonna become a very commoditized skill, and I actually think it's not a good bet for the financial returns of today for the future. Now, if you love coding more than breathing the way I like buying and selling stuff, well, then you should do that. 
But if you think you're gonna make the same economics that a developer makes today, you will not because they were the ones of a generation when people weren't doing it that were right about where the world went and so they were more valuable. Now you have an entire world that is learning how to develop and so by supply and demand curves, it will become a commoditized skill. And so inevitably the price will go down for development and that is not even talking about the commoditization of what technology can do and where the skills go. Now, if you tell me that's fine, Gary, but I'm gonna develop in a language that's gonna be the framework for virtual reality or augment, you know, you can start getting into some, and if you're the best coder in the world, you'll find your financial freedom. And you may not be developing just because of the financial impacts, like I said with my first statement. If it's your art form or your expression, then good for you, but I do think a lot of kids, and more importantly, a lot of parents, think their kids will be financially safe if they become coders, and I think that's a naive point of view because you're not anticipating to where the world's going. So what would you study if you were their age? I would, I would if, you, if, if I were, if I was, yeah, I mean, I would, I would hope that you were as fortunate as I am that at this young of an age, you knew your calling. You know, that's the, I had the greatest gift. Even though I had to eat shit and everybody made fun of me, I knew that I had already won because as a 12, 13 year old, I knew who I was gonna be. There was nothing else I could think of. There was no debate. It was binary. I was literally willing to look society in its face and go like right at it because I knew who I was. I'm just wondering if somebody in here actually knows what that is but doesn't have the courage or the luxury of the mother that I had that's embracing that desire because of the world their parents see and they want for their children. And it's so cliche, you know, for immigrant parents, for Asian parents, for Hong Kong parents to push their kids towards what they think is right versus what the kid thinks is right. I got very lucky. I looked at the world in its face. I was confident, but I also had a mother that gave me the air cover to get away with it. So how, how would you deal with that? Obviously, a lot of Asian parents in the circle around here, what if the Asian parents are saying, hey, you should be a banker, you should be a lawyer, and they actually would be an entrepreneur. What should, what, how would you, your 12-year-old self, how would you approach your mom then? I don't want to sit here and talk about something that is not fair to you. It's a very difficult situation. Like, what are you going to do? Like, just because I'm going to tell you to go tell your parents to go fuck themselves? Like, <laughs> like you know, that's, not, that's only going to work so much. Like, to me, that is something that I don't have the audacity to give you advice around because all of you have your own family situations. I don't know you. Here's what I would say. Appeasing your parents is a long-term vulnerability to your relationship with your parents because you will resent them. That feels very foreign right now, but when you're 29, when you're 42, when you're 61, you're what you think you're doing to make your parents happy becomes the thing that ultimately destroys your relationship with your parents because you will resent them. You just will. That's just true. And that's tried and true. And, you, and, and your parents, like, here, you know what? I'll give you one piece of advice. Pay very close attention to the relationship your parents have with their parents. And then try to understand what happened there. If your parents were forced to do something and they don't have a healthy relationship with your grandparents, you should pay attention. If they weren't, like you've gotta look at that. That's a very important insight that can maybe show you a path. 
or create a pillar of conversation. The one thing that has always worked on parents when you fight against them is when you use the example of their relationship with their parents against them. (laughs) That has always been the one move that gives you some opening of a chance. Like I helped one friend through that. He basically said to his dad, dad, you want to have the same relationship that you have with your dad? And that gave him the opening to do his thing. Ah, that's a really good point. Uh, So I think the most important word is hustle because I think it's the one thing that's the most controllable. Like everybody here is only so smart, only so intuitive, like there's only so much you can push, but putting in the hard work is so controllable. I would say the second most important thing besides hustle is self-awareness. And I would actually probably argue that I've become more fond of self-awareness even more so than hustle. Um, If you really know who you are, you have a much better chance of being successful because if you care about yourself, you're gonna put yourself in a position to succeed. And so I would, I would tell you more, if you took anything from our time together, spend as much time trying to figure out who you are. Who you are for yourself, within yourself, within yourself when you talk to yourself. Not what people think you are, not what some people think you're good at, not what you wish you were. The biggest mistake that people make is they wish they were something versus realizing what they are. Empathy is my number one favorite trait. If you can feel for the other person, you will then be less political and you have the emotional strength to be the bigger person and every day we have friction with each other and the way you can go faster is if you're the first person to say, I'm gonna be the bigger person and let us move forward even though I think I'm right. I think I'm right all the time. Right, like I have, I have confidence, I have a history of success, but the amount of times that I am the bigger person and let my people do things that I disagree with is always, because I win either way. Either they're right and I've learned something, or far more often they're wrong and I get to make fun of them. <laughs> have I ever made a business decision that messed up a relationship with anyone? Um, um, I'm sure, I'm sure, because a lot of times you're making decisions where there's collateral damage and you don't realize it, right? Um, but with the people that I've most cared about, no. And I think not taking any equity in Wine Library, me and AJ, my brother and I started a business. I was already a very successful businessman. I had a lot of equity in social media. He was a kid coming out of college and we were 50-50 partners when we didn't, shouldn't, had no reason to be. And so I have always left money, you know, it's very similar to your question. I don't value money very much. I have enough, I always have enough, I always had enough. If I make 35,000 a year, that's enough because I don't spend 36, right? So I've always not valued money, um, which has allowed me to be in a place, you know, money's usually the issue. So because money has not been at the forefront, I haven't burned you know, I've run two family, successful family businesses, which are very hard. Family businesses have a lot of emotion, a lot of baggage, but I'm sure. I'm sure my college friends who I didn't take into the business might have not liked that, right? I'm sure you know, acquaintances that have worked for me that I had to fire, I'm sure quietly don't like that. You know? And there's a lot of lightweight relationships where I didn't know the person I hired them, they worked for me for three years, it went well, and then it didn't go well and then I'm sure those people, you know, you have to be willing to go there. My, you know what my big thing is? Intent. I've never, 
ever done anything with the intent of hurting somebody, ever. And that makes me feel very happy about life. If I was to build a new business today, uh, so I'd probably build an IP-based business. And what I mean by that is intellectual property, like a cartoon, like I'm obsessed with like Star Wars and Transformers and Hello Kitty and anything, like once you own it, you own it. And I think that's one of the most ownable things in a world where all these big companies like WeChat and Tencent and Amazon, and like they're winning, right? They've become the layer above the internet itself. We're about to live in the internet. So who else can make big business? The people that own the IP. Got it? So I would literally try to acquire or try to create original intellectual property that I could monetize. That seems to me like a very big opportunity. Okay, so we have about five minutes left, but I want uh, you to be able to ask that question as well. I know you're interested in what yeah. millennials and youth are doing here in Asia, so um, maybe we should start with the social networking question, like what social networks do you Yeah, what's the, what's the first app that you look at in the morning? Instagram? Instagram? What's that? Let's just go around the whole thing. I actually want all this. Let's go back to you. Uh, Snapchat. Snapchat, Instagram, Instagram. WhatsApp, Snapchat. Which messenger? Facebook Messenger. Instagram. Snapchat. 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 Facebook. Snapchat. Email. (laughs) Listen, I love it. Listen. WhatsApp. Gmail. Snapchat. WhatsApp. Facebook Messenger. Facebook Messenger. Facebook Messenger. D-Rock. Okay. Snapchat? What's that? Which one? Uh huh, I know. Yeah, I understood. Facebook? Twitter? Bloomberg. Bloomberg? Yeah. <laughs> I'm a loser. I'm a loser, I know. Mine's text message, right? Yeah, message, my, my native text messaging. Okay, what, uh, let's now in reverse, and we'll even do reverse. What's, what's the thing that you feel, and this is a little harder so you guys have it better so you can think for a minute. What's the thing that you think you've dropped off on the most in the last year? The thing that maybe you spent a lot more time on a year ago today, but not as much as today? Um, I would say all sorts of OTT. I, like I, Netflix and all that? Everything. You're not I, consuming I, content. No, I'm actually consuming education. Interesting. Maybe less on like what? Facebook. Facebook? Study? <laughs> That's my favorite. That's amazing. I love that. YouTube. Just t- television. Sleep. Facebook. TV. Facebook. YouTube. Reading. YouTube. Game- playing. Facebook. What's that? Movies. Raisa? What's down from a year ago? You haven't changed in one year? Get out of here. No, just kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> Gaming and TV? Gaming? YouTube? Sleep? Twitter? Facebook? Snapchat? Proper TV. Proper TV. Yeah. What's that? What's that? 
all right, what about, who, what about who's your favorite influencer and what do they like talk about? If you have one. Nope. I, this is kind of generic, but like Emma Watson and like her feminism movement, oh, I think that's pretty cool. Okay. My grandfather. Your grandfather. It's awesome. Michelle Obama. And what do you consume her on? Instagram? On what platform? On YouTube. Your mom. Like in real life? Like, <laughs> weird. <laughs> LeBron James. On Instagram? Nobody really. Who? <laughs> I love it. Is it Instagram? I love it. Elon Musk. Elon Musk. Yeah, because like his vision really Because he's there. Sometimes people want to, but didn't have the power. One hundred percent. Where do you consume him mainly? Twitter? Like where do you consume his content? YouTube. Rice? That, those, got it. You're who? You talk about online influencers, right? That's fine, I mean they took it a different place, I like it. Cool. Your mom? Yeah. She's doing well. Where? Um, TED Talks, books, any, I mean, Slack, has books, yep. where I can find her. Yep. TED Talks, podcast, mostly, but it's probably quite enough. Sure. It's the best. Do you rock? Well, I can Well, you know, not me, but like, what do you, I love it, do you rock? You're the best. <laughs> Yeah, I know they are, it's awesome. Uh, Gordon Ramsay. Gordon Ramsay? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> awesome. Very passionate about it. Yes, he is. No one in mind. Yeah, on what? Yeah, very cool. Steve Jobs. Steve Jobs. Was crazy. Yeah, for sure. Of course. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, guys. Well, um, that's uh, about all we've got time for. You've got now some chance to come and meet, selfies, whatever you guys want to do. Uh, We have about 15, 10, 15 minutes. We do have to leave here at 12 on the dot. So uh, do we need to do? Big thank you to Gary. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Podcast listeners, I really appreciate you giving me your ear. I respect it. I appreciate it. You want to one-star this shit? Cool. But if you want to five-star it, even better.